Welcome to another episode of Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer. This week, I'm joined by Alicia Rodriguez of SB Nation. She is a wonderful voice on soccer. We'll discuss the westward expansion of the NWSL to San Diego and L.A. in 2022. The NWSL is the premier women's soccer league in the world, and the league hopes to capitalize off the sport's popularity in Southern California in this latest round of expansion. If you're a soccer fan, I think you'll enjoy the conversation as we cover expectations for the clubs, league growth plans, stadiums, and much, much more. But as always, before we get started with today's episode, please give us an auto-download on your podcast platform so you'll get future episodes automatically. Left Coast Sports is on most podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, the free iHeartRadio app, YouTube, and Spotify. You can leave a review there as well. And while you're here and listening, please switch over to Twitter and follow me there, at John Schaefer. That's J-O-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R, at John Schaefer. The NWSL hopes to take Southern California by storm beginning in 2022. Here's my conversation with Alicia Rodriguez. So, Alicia, in your opinion, what makes San Diego such a good potential market for American soccer and specifically the NWSL? Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, first and foremost, uh, San Diego has been a a good um, provider of talent for the national, the U.S. national teams over Mm -hmm. the years, uh, men's and women's. and so there's a, a population that has been playing soccer since they were kids. There's uh, San Diego typically tends to be one of the top markets for international soccer tournaments on television. So um, there's definitely a demand. And so I think uh, in that regard, it, it makes complete sense to bring the NWSL to San Diego. Do you think ultimately San Diego would be the type of market that the MLS would want to expand to as well? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's certainly possible. Um, we've seen that uh, MLS has been interested in San Diego over the years, and um, I think the the big thing, obviously, is if uh, the right stadium deal comes together. Uh, I definitely think MLS would be interested in in coming to San Diego, but absent a, a, a good, strong, uh, tangible stadium proposal, uh, I think it's probably going to be a long shot. But as we know, uh, you know, things can change pretty quickly, and uh, I, I think it's certainly possible, and I definitely think that MLS, for their part, uh, keeps uh, some interest in, in uh, coming to San Diego at some point. I want to get back to the NWSL. As you know, a franchise not just in San Diego in 2022, but also in Los Angeles. I mean, that, that seems important for the league to get two teams in Southern California and probably establish some type of rivalry. You would expect probably a pretty significant rivalry between those two clubs, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know for, for San Diego's perspective, they're going to be really amped uh, against Los Angeles. And I think uh, Los Angeles is probably going to be pretty uh, big on this rivalry as well. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense, like you said, um, to kind of establish uh, a presence in a couple cities in Southern California. But um, I also think that it it's natural, right? Like there's, there's reasons that these teams are going to feed off each other and um, I think the fact that they're launching in the same year as well is probably going to stoke those rivalry fires a little bit more. Um, there's not going to be one team that has a, a big lead, you know, having been in the league for five years before the other one. So they're going to be starting from the same point. And so it's, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how each team develops their own identity, um, their own playing style, their own fan base, their own culture, and, and kind of how they feed off each other. And I, I think overall we've seen in, in other instances in American soccer where there's been uh, two teams in the same market or, or pretty close to each other, uh, that usually does help them get better because they're uh, motivated by each other. Alicia, is it realistic to expect that those two clubs or one of those two clubs could contend from year one, or, 
or what are the hurdles to contend from day one in the NWSL? Yeah, it's, I mean, anything's possible. It's a pretty small league. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say uh, without having any roster for either of the, sure. the two California teams so far uh, that, you know, they're definitely going to contend. But there are a couple teams at the top in the NWSL that have been uh, perpetual contenders, uh, namely North Carolina mm-hmm. and Portland. Um, so really you have to go through those teams first in order to have any real chance at contending. Um, I think for teams that are coming into the league, we've seen that it's been a little bit of a struggle over the years. Um, Orlando struggled for several years, and, and they've been pretty inconsistent over time uh, since they entered the league. Uh, same can be said for Houston, although they, they're coming off their best year ever last year. So uh, they're on an upswing. Um, and then this season, Kansas City uh, returned to the league. Uh, they're struggling quite a bit, but they also uh, moved to Kansas City kind of at the 11th hour. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are giving them uh, some leeway there. And uh, Louisville, I think I, I really like Louisville's style of play. I think in a lot of ways they're performing a lot better than uh, I expected them to. Um, but they're not getting enough results. So, you know, I don't really think that we can expect them to, um, you know, make a push and, and, and be in the final this season. But I do think there's promising signs from Louisville. And so um, in that regard, I think that, that there's some reason for promise for the California teams when they're kind of looking at the landscape coming into the league. You know, I'm curious, for, for those that are not familiar with the NWSL, but will be introduced to it in Southern California, what should they expect and, and what type of style of play um will fans expect to see from these clubs? I think there's some, you know, some differences. I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say that there's one style of play, but I will say that um, given the fact that the league is overwhelmingly American, um, you know, you're going to see uh, a style of play that in, in many respects, I think mirrors what the, the national team is doing. Obviously mm-hmm. most of the national team uh, players are playing in the NWSL Um but there's also some skilled players from abroad as well. So, you know, there's the likes of Dabinia, an up-and-coming Brazilian star who uh, plays for North Carolina. Obviously, Marta, one of the legends of the game. She plays for Orlando. Um, you know, the, Rachel Daly, she's uh, at Houston Dash. And, um, you know, she's a really versatile player, but I think uh, bringing her into an attacking role has been uh, really good. But, yeah, I think there's there's some variety, which for me as a soccer fan, I'd like to see tactical variety. You know, you don't want to see 12 teams playing exactly the right. same way. Um, but I also think that, uh, you know, it's a pretty physical league. Uh, players who come from abroad, you know, tend to need a little bit of an adjustment period. Um, I would say the referees are, are pretty loose in terms of calling fouls and, um, you know, yellow cards and whatnot. So uh, basically, uh, you know, the players have to really be tough um, in addition to being fit. And, uh, yeah, it, it can be pretty exciting at times. What do you think it says about San Diego's commitment to win when they make hires like Jill Ellis as the president of the club and Casey Stoney was recently announced as the head coach as well? What, what does that say about San Diego and, and their interest in, in winning? I think it's a, it's a great sign. Um, obviously, Jill Ellis, uh, you know, she's, she's kind of hit the pinnacle of, of the uh, women's game. And so, Coming in as a, an executive to the pro, professional ranks, I think, is uh, really good for her. I think that this is a great opportunity. And I think uh, hiring Casey Stoney is, is, on paper, seems like a home run. Um, you know, Casey Stoney came from Manchester United Women, uh, led them to two consecutive uh, fourth-place finishes in uh, the FAWSL in England. Um, but she also helped launch that team. That team had been disbanded, and then she helped uh, relaunch them. So. She has some familiarity with uh, launching a team, which I think will come in handy in this situation. 
she's never been um, in the United States. She's never played in the NWSL or mm-hmm. predecessor leagues or anything like that. So there may be a bit of an adjustment, but um, I think all in all, it's a great hire. And I think uh, having both of them to help launch the team is a wonderful statement of intent for San Diego's team. And uh, I'm really excited to see what comes next because I think that, that this, this helps set the table for uh, you know what's possible in, in building a, a strong team in year one. Yeah, and San Diego has said that they do plan to develop and showcase female leadership, and obviously they've made that clear with these hires of Jill Ellis and, and Casey Stoney. How important is it to develop more females in terms of on the sidelines, leadership positions across the sport in general? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty vital. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a little bit of a thorny issue just because I think uh, the default has been, you know, you want the strongest candidate regardless of their gender mm-hmm. um, in any given role, and, and that's totally understandable. Uh, for example, right now the, the women's national team manager is Vlatko Andonovsky, a man, um, but I think he's the consensus pick for the best person for the job, and so it, it, it's, it's not a controversial um, choice, you know, whatsoever. Uh, having said that, um, I think one of the problems has been we've seen as the NWSL has, has grown over time, um, more and more of the positions, particularly in coaching, but to an extent also in uh, front office and executive positions have been dominated by men. And, um, you know, if, if you really want to grow the sport and you really want to develop the infrastructure at all levels, um, give women opportunities where they haven't had them before, um, I think it's really vital to provide those opportunities and, and provide um, ways for women to grow their skill sets, um, you know, get uh, training to be coaches and get their badges and whatnot. Um, just because, you know, in, in the case of men, you can coach in men's soccer, you can coach in women's soccer, mm-hmm. right? Like it's everything's open for you. Um, we still see for women, uh, there's virtually no participation for women in the men's game. And so, if men are dominating women's soccer as well, then there's essentially, you know, very few opportunities for women in general. And so I do think that we're at a moment in which there needs to be some more conscious work done to um, provide training opportunities and uh, mentorship opportunities where necessary for women in in all facets of the game, but then also uh, keep an open mind and allow women to, you know, take these uh, important positions as well. Um, in order to develop the game and and make it as robust and as strong as possible. Yeah, that's extremely well said. And as you know, the Olympics are just days away. You know, we'll have another World Cup obviously coming up here during this cycle. How critical is the success on that uh, international level? Olympic success, World Cup success for the continued growth of the NWSL? Yeah, I think it goes both ways. Um, In the case of the success of the national team, um, that obviously provides huge boosts in terms of interest and um, media interest, eyeballs from fans, you know, casuals who, who kind of want to check out uh, what's going on in their backyards, uh, you know, between tournaments. Um, it, it's really big, but I also think that it goes the other way as well. Um, if the NWSL is strong, then that means they're producing uh, good players who can play for the national team, giving them meaningful minutes uh, on a regular basis. And then hopefully that keeps the national team program strong, uh, overall, because one of the things we've seen is that the United States was an early adopter in women's soccer, and so they got a head start that a lot of other countries um, are have subsequently been playing catch-up. Well, they're in many ways catching up, and so the United States needs to keep that edge. Um, and they've been able to do it over the past decade in, in pretty impressive fashion, but at a certain point, 
uh, more and more countries are going to catch up to the United States. Mm. And so they're going to need to have a really competitive league uh, domestically in order to make sure the bar is set really high and make sure that the quality of play remains high so that the United States can remain competitive on the international stage. Now, back to the NWSL for a moment. Um, you know, what type of crowds are typical for these matches? Uh, I look at San Diego, they're going to be housed in a 6,000-seat stadium, at least initially, Torero Stadium on the campus of the University of San Diego. LAFC will be the home stadium for the uh, Angel City Club, which is a much larger venue, probably twenty or 25,000 seats. What's an ideal size for the stadiums in the NWSL? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think it's something that the league is, is trying to address, and I think they've been doing a pretty good job over the last couple years in particular. At this stage, I think uh, attendance really varies market to market, to market. and obviously what's happened in, in 2020 and then uh, slowly bringing back fans around different markets. You know, it's, it's hard to kind of peg what the current state is of uh, attendance in the league, um, you know, based on the pandemic and everything. But uh, the, the high is in Portland. Uh, the Portland Thorns typically sell out Providence Park, which has, I think, roughly 20,000 capacity. Mm. Um, so, you know, they're the, the trendsetters. They're doing fantastic. Um, most other teams are in smaller venues or, um, you know, their, their, uh, target at the moment is, is quite a bit smaller. Um, I think we're at a point where teams are, are generally, getting over 3,000, and they're working on, on bumping that up little by little. Um, we saw, for example, uh, the last couple of years with uh, Sky Blue FC, which became Gotham FC, um, they started uh, playing games at Red Bull Arena, which uh, they were one of the teams that had one of the smallest uh, attendances in, in a different venue over at Rutgers. They moved to Red Bull Arena, obviously a, a beautiful stadium, a big stadium by NWSL standards, uh, and they were getting good crowds. You know, they were getting six, seven, eight thousand uh, for, for these showcase games that they were doing. Um, so I think that that's a, a great uh, marker for what's possible. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a slow process to build up the attendance, but I think that, uh, you know, scenarios like that are showing that um, there is growth. And as long as you don't have another pandemic mm. uh, on the horizon, hopefully we do not. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's reasonable for both San Diego to have a 6,000 capacity stadium for the time being. Um, I think that that is, you know, I think Toro Stadium is a really nice, intimate setting for soccer. And I think it, it could lend itself to having really great crowds um, to support the team. But I also think that there's potential for Angel City to, you know, move beyond that, uh, hopefully pretty quickly and kind of push the bar for other teams like San Diego down the road to want to have a bigger capacity so they can get more folks as well. But obviously, we'll have to see what happens in 2022 because, you know, it's it's difficult to project what the attendance is going to be, um, you know, before we've even seen it. You mentioned growth. Are the long-term plans of the NWSL to in- to continue expansion? Will this one day be a league the size of the MLS in terms of the number of clubs, or what's realistic? Yeah, I think uh, they're definitely on track to do more expansion moving forward. Um, I think at this point, the the current commissioner that the league has, Lisa Baird, I think. Um, I think she's doing a good job in terms of uh, checking out which markets are, are really viable and, and which ones have the ownership situation uh, needed to, you know, push the, the league forward. Um, I expect that it's pretty likely we're going to see a, an expansion team, at least one expansion team in Canada, probably in the next five years, for example, um, which is necessary because the Canadian national team has uh, been a vital part of the NWSL 
uh, it makes sense to have a, a, a pro team in Canada, um, part of the league, you know, things like that. Um, I don't know if they're going to necessarily get to MLS's level. I mean, MLS is kind of getting to the level where they're really well beyond the bounds of most uh, top flight men's domestic leagues around mm-hmm. the world. You know, you don't see leagues that are as big as MLS um, in other countries. So I'm not sure if we're going to see 27, 30 teams in the NWSL, but uh, will they get to 20? I think uh, that's certainly possible. And um, I don't think they're going to rush to it. I think they're at the mo- point in in their history that uh, they're going to do slow, deliberate growth. But uh, I do expect the, the league to continue adding teams. Well, it is an exciting time, certainly for the NWSL and for fans of women's soccer in Southern California, specifically in San Diego and Los Angeles. And Alicia, we appreciate you breaking it down for us and for your time today. That was great. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for having me on. Thanks again to Alicia for joining us today. And if you are a fan of soccer in this country, you'll want to give Alicia a follow on Twitter at Soccer Musings, at Soccer Musings. Also, this reminder, don't miss the best high school football games from this past season with Classic Game Time, Fridays on Your View. That's Classic Game Time this summer, only on Your View. If you haven't already, please subscribe, auto-download future episodes on whichever podcast platform you're listening to this podcast on right now. Please leave a review as well. And once again, please follow me on Twitter, at John Schaefer. That's J-O-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R, at John Schaefer. For previous episodes or more information about Left Coast Sports, you can visit yourview.com. That's Y-U-R-V-I-E-W.com. Y-U-R-V-I-E-W.com. As always, we thank you for listening, and we'll catch up next week right here on Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer.